Good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are. This is Tevo Diarcy of Tevo Creative Leadership. We hope you are feeling good today, centered, not self-centric, but centered in the Lord. As everyone should know by now, I speak the message and the words delivered to the You Must Be Born Again, Jesus Christ Acceptors. However, everyone of any other faith or belief system are always welcome and fully respected. But I want them to know that I give the direct word of the Lord because it is pretty upfront, pretty straightforward to the body of Christ, men and women. You know, I've come from a place where I had the most extreme, not in a pleasant way, an extraordinary, out of the weirdness of life, I had extreme circumstances after I relocated to Texas. And you know what? I've never had to be the boss, but as a person who happens to be packaged by God, fashioned and tailored by God specifically for my earthly assignment in a female, white, Western European heritage, Caucasian earth suit, I've never had anyone of my own race ever treat me with such rude dis really lack of whatever common Christ following politeness and respect as I have never ever discovered in my life in relationships in ministry and Christian ministry till I moved to DFW and I thought man that is just strange what's in the doctrinal bathwaters that's what I say I don't criticize all males, Caucasian, but I do notice when people are accepting, respectful of this person, no matter my gender, my look, my age, and if they're male or female, I'll, I'll notice because I sort of had this thing. I grew up happy, respected, not under the law. My mother happened to like Perry Mason when I was growing up, the old-timey black-and-white reruns, so I remember watching, and when I was with her as a child, maybe five or six, with the kitty cat nearby, I remember just knowing how it was important to discern and perceive little nuances, little tweaks, little attitudes, little behaviors, and for some reason, later I started to like Nancy Drew mysteries and different mysteries, also, seafaring, I always liked um, adventure. One of my favorites was The Unwilling Pirate about a guy, a little guy, that you know, boy, he got kidnapped by the pirates. I, lo I read that so many times in elementary school. But my father being a Christian, even though he was Caucasian, deep south, he was not a misogynist, a chauvinist, a religionist minister. And as a female the oldest of two sisters, and then my mother, who is very capable, I watched my father, my dad, interact with all the women of the family, and then his mom would come, and her mom would come, and maybe the grandmother, great-grandmother would come, but I watched him just as calm and respectful, easygoing, polite, genuinely Christ-like and accepting, and then when I was out at the grocery store with him as a child, he'd go and I'd watch how the cashier could just tell him their problems and he didn't seem time consumed, hurried, he wasn't a bigot, and like I said, he wasn't a misogynist, a woman hater. So I grew up very comfortable with men, real men, Christians, 
thinking that all were like that. And then when I was over in the East Coast, I had had a ministry around the area. And even though after about 10 years, the doctrines started to be affected by media and popular winds of doctrine, trends of doctrine, sometimes I call them the yeast of the fed, you sees. And then the whelp Phariseeism came in with certain Holy Spirit doctrines covering and being under authority in a religious fashion, you know, like I mentioned. And so I thought, there for the grace of God go I. I never heard of this, but it's very valid because I watched the movements grow and spread, and they're now around the United States, especially the Deep South, where they teach on the spirit of prophecy. And when I had grown up a Baptist, gotten the call at 24, and then the movements had started to change to Jesus people. I'd been a Jesus person before 24, since I was like 18 to 24. Studying the moves of the Spirit as it slowly evolved, worship that came in, teaching, and evaluating the doctrines like a noble Berean, for some reason by God's grace and good parenting. They didn't, you know, it was just God's mercy. So then I started being, you know, the Lord said, I want you to go out and study my different kinds of Christians that are for doctrines, their pet peeves, their red flag buzzwords, their style, their music in leadership. So I said, yes. And then when the Lord led me like Ezekiel's wheel, like, like a prophet Enoch walking and talking with God daily, like so many others, not just me. 24-7, I said, all right, Lord, I'll accept it. And he would lead me, even though I was just a natural person being led by the Lord, like most of you, a lot of you. And anyway, if you invite Jesus into your heart, it can be that way for you, too, if you want to mature in it and work at it. So anyway, as I was led about the body, I was not suspicious. I've never been a suspicious person. I'm really a genuinely discerning person, aware, watching everybody. But I try to give the benefit of the doubt until shown otherwise. I try to treat everyone with respect in the body of Christ and not in the body of Christ. All faiths. I was raised around that. I just keep it going. So the idea is there are many people that are not white bigots, not Christian born-again bigots. And I'm one. And I come from a whole tribe of them. And there's so many in our nation. We have to now teach that because there is also the opposite. The ones who are not respectful, who are ornery, who are accusative and bigots. There really are. When I had grown up respected, gotten out on my own, got the call to ministry in the 80s, mid-80s, it was still calm in the Christian community as in respectful, not fighting, not like today. So I kept on going and then in the as TV media affected, you know, I came into ministry right during the time when the um, TV media scandals first happened, the big ones. Jim Baker, Jimmy Swaggart, and both of those repented, so it didn't pick it on them. But I'm saying I was there before, during, and after the fallout when people started to get really critical. I was also there. God had me born just for this time, where I was born raised up around the Billy Graham, you know, could tell the difference between all this before the charismatic movements, prophetic, all the things now, all the worship, all the jumping and shouting, at least to my knowledge, I'm sure it was out there somewhere, but not as pronounced. So when those came as a 
background of a student, a scholar, I just always was discerning and see, did it line up with the Bible? And people get high intensity and jump and shout and still line up with the Bible. And they could be quiet and, you know, like a mouse and not say a word or move anything. And they could be lining up with the Bible. So I'm not going to pick on that. So when I was out and we came across the new doctrines, I also noticed that there had been the growth in maybe the charismatic prophetic movement or just the different ones. I'd, first of all, after the college and I, Christian media was growing and I grew up and had children and then my father died, my grandmother died, I had postpartum depression, no car, uh, my husband worked all the time to be a good provider and I had really a need to go to God. And I thank God for the media that was on. And one day I walked into the den, just feeling so... I had no family to take the baby. My baby, who's now grown, was a wonderful baby. But she slept two... She was awake every two hours for two and a half years. And so I was getting run down. Didn't have anywhere to say, here, please take the child. Let me have a few days off or a day off. And my husband was working so hard. So... I went to the Lord, thank God, I knew the Lord to go toward him, not away from him. So when I did, that's when he really started to break me and started to come to him and he would teach me about using the time when I was awake to pray. And then I was a Bible student and I remember 700 Club had a commercial of this lady sitting there in the night with her baby awake like me and the rain was coming down the pane, you know, all the stuff going on. And I thought, that's how I feel. And I remembered my grandmother on my mother's side, Boo, a prayer warrior. And she said, you know, God is a gentleman. Gentleman, He'll never do anything to hurt you. The devil might, but not God. He's a gentleman. And so I'd always been taught by my mother, Tavo, if you don't have eight hours of sleep, you're going to be cranky. Well, I thought of God. You know, here I was wanting to have eight hours sleep, but I couldn't as a mother. And I thought, well, if God's a gentleman, then he must give me the grace to be sweet no matter what. And since that time, I haven't needed eight hours of sleep. I like to have sleep, but I don't really need it. I just know that he gives me strength to be sweet. And I give God the glory. So one day during that time when I was feeling, you know, like by myself... I go into the den and turn on the very low wattage Christian station. It was sort of a rural area back then, more than it is now. And this cheery voice, and it was Brother Kenneth Copeland. And he said these words that changed my life. Choose to be of good cheer and study the word. And that was the first I'd ever heard of faith. And I thought, that's right, I need to do that. So I researched be of good cheer. And I've done that ever since, both of those things. Now, when I was raised, I wasn't raised to be the boss. I wasn't raised. I didn't ever need to be women's lib because I wasn't, I didn't think it was feminine. But I was always liberated, not under the law. So I never had to worry about that. I didn't ever want to be the boss. It wasn't until later when I got married and children and things challenged, really the media scandals. My mother, after my father died, invested all our inheritance against my you know, against my family members' wishes, advice, and she lost it all, a couple of th hundred thousand. And that offense, those offenses started to mount, and the person 
that I married started to park his car and get cynical about Christian ministers. And that is why many people are like that today. When that happened, and I noticed a lot of people, including a girlfriend who used to say, praise the Lord all the time, and then those scandals happened, accusations started to spread in the body, in our nation, around the world, making fun of Christians on TV. I thought, Lord, what do you say on this? So I went to the Lord, and I was teaching the Bible study for women at the time, and I had I was doing my newsletter for ministers at the time, Encouraging Word. I said, Lord, what do you say? And he gave me Micah 7, 5, and it says, Do not put your confidence in the guide. Do not put your confidence in the neighbor or the one who lies beside you in bed. I thought, that's the secret. All public ministers, male or female, should train people not to depend on them in case they fall. Paul said, follow me only if I follow Christ. So he knew well the human nature. So I went and submitted that to the pastor of the church, Assembly of God, where I used to first teach. And see, I'm very econ economical. No, I am that. But I'm also ecumenical that I don't care their pedigree, just so I'm, they believe the Bible and are loving and respectable. Good teaching there. So anyway, at that time, I was teaching in the Assembly of God. And so I went to the pastor and I said, here's this verse I got. Maybe that's a secret train people not to put their faith in the famous pastor. So I was not famous, you know, so it didn't do anything. But I'm letting you know now that's what has been my policy. I've purposely not wanted anyone to be under me. I purposely did not want to be the boss. But when the husband or when the mate you think is the equal, that you think is the leader of the home, head of home, and you have the children to think of, and you want to be the weaker vessel, and you really are, but then they park their car spiritually, even though they're for you and materially, financially, and emotionally many times. Then if you are the Christian, and there's only one really on-fire Christian born again, then the warfare starts to mount, and you have to either get strong to pray for the family, to keep it together, to forgive, to keep on going. And you get stronger even though you're not the boss. And because I had a very nominal Christian, I had a very strong boss. <laughs> I was the really the weaker vessel. I was after, after a while, things got hardened and parked, the car got worse and domestic violence. But I was... I was controlled, and I would have to go to God, how, how do you handle this? When do you speak up? When do you rise up? When do you say something? And one of the books about the Jezebel spirit, all those things came out in the 90s, or the, you know, I started to read, and one of them really helped me. One of them said about the Jezebel in Thyatira, because I didn't want to be one. I never heard of that until I got it under the charismatic moves, you know, different ones about the Holy Spirit. So it said the Church of Thyatira in Revelation 2 that the female teacher was teaching, the female prophetic teacher was teaching false doctrine. However, the rebuke was to the leader, the pastor, because the Lord rebuked the lampstand leader, which today could be a woman, but it was back then a men only. 
And he says, why do you tolerate that Jezebel? Why do you tolerate a controlling prophetic teacher? In other words, in my opinion, why don't you, Matthew 18, 15 through 17, make a one-to-one polite, polite, respectful appointment and set her down. And if you're that scared, get somebody to go with you. That's Matthew 18, 16, plus also Galatians 6, 1, respectfully and meekly go and set her straight. And if it were a female or a man, same with a male today who's controlling and teaching false doctrine. Same with a female at the leadership or the male, because we're not under the law. I've had to go through this line upon line about males and females. Did you notice what I just said, what the Lord has written in his Bible? Do you realize that they allowed in the church of first church of Thyatira, they allowed a female to teach, even though Paul had said not commanded them not to let the women teach i think let's talk about this let's defrag accusation against women in ministry christians i'm talking to you all right if you say that women little women as these I hate to say country red state nouveau riche my worst nightmare in christianity right now the most thorn in my thorn in my flesh, thorn in my side, because they're so covering-oriented, but also unfriendly, and not, op- you know, just sort of anti-female. So the idea is, I've never had chauvinism until now, <laughs> so I have to teach it doctrinally and tell why women are allowed to have a leadership role. And I've studied it for years because I didn't want to be a leader. I didn't really. I wanted the man to lead. But if that's usurped, they park their car, then you have to grow up or you will be killed by the warfare. Rod Parsley's book, an aside about Deborah, he wrote about in his Reform Reformation Bible, it said, when God looks around a nation and he didn't find enough in his people, his people, the nation of his people, talking about the Hebrews and now, When he looks around the nation of his people and he doesn't find enough strong men, godly men, he'll call out the women, which he has. So I say, men, where are you? Why why are you making us do so much hard work? (laughs) But anyway, I'm not accusing, I'm assessing. Let's go for it. Let's the men rise up. And so a lot of what I started off with is the males are sort of weak. They're sort of puny. And when they're puny, they go toward the law to control. But they don't feel good about themselves. And I can see why just from TV. And I'm talking about not dark-skinned men. That's a whole other topic. Not Christian men that are black or brown. They seem to have more strength. True strength. Because they've been through harder things maybe. Or maybe they have an identity that's now being brought out by the media better. I don't know. I'm for all of you to be raised up, but not to dominate dominators. And then women are equal. There is just a chain of command for the hat when you're legally married and in the church. All right. So I looked at the Thyatira and I noticed, you know, with all this talk about Paul, all the confusion in ministry, Christians, women and men are confused. Women do not teach in the church. You should be silent. So I've said many times, I said, well, my theory is, and I'm submitting it in sila form, not dogma. My theory is to the born again people that back when Paul said that, 
they had just started the church. There was no prior Bible written generation, uh, taught by pastor generation or any teaching out there. They were having to get it from the Lord, prayer and fasting style, and set it up. So they only had a short time in which they were going to be alive on the earth to get the gospel and everything set up in a form that it could be passed down to the next generation and grow. So here we have all the Gentile women that are raised like chattel. They haven't been around the law. They're inexperienced. They're immature. And they were also some of them in maybe prostitutes of the temple Diana Baal worship type thing. Slaves. And they were not educated. So those were loose lipped and they would shout out. Perhaps the women that were raised under the law, they were also second class in education. Maybe they had more discipline. Maybe some of them shouted out. And so Paul said to save time to, you know, to really fight his, pick his battles. Men, you teach the women at home. Today, we've had generations of maturing and teaching, except there are men and women who still believe that and suppress women so that they still are like children or treated, expected to act like children, overly emotional, the typical stereotype of the chauvinist church of the West, Western European, not black, to my opinion. All right, so we think, well, if that was then, this is now, and then we have this weird exception in the church of Thyatira, ironically about Jezebel. If he says, why do you tolerate that woman teacher Jezebel who teaches false doctrine? It was about her doctrine of fornication, eating food offered to idols, not her womanliness, but that she was a dominator. All right, so it's a really a slip that we haven't gotten it. They allowed women, they must have allowed a few women to teach in the church, except in the church of Thyatira, they got the wrong one. If you want to remove the law, the critical spirit of this, you can also say, well, listen, if a woman is not allowed to teach in the church right now, then why, and that's back under the law of teaching, why, with the, the church of Thyatira in mind, why would God, why would God allow men with long hair, which is against the law, Old Testament law, Tattoos and earrings serve in the priesthood in the ministry offices. Why would he allow office Deborah, who taught males, who ruled over, made decisions in a judicial manner as a prophet, one of God's prophets of the Old Testament office, why would he allow a woman to do that, also hold a prophesied? It goes back to Maybe, like Rod Parsley said, when God looks around and he can't find enough strong men, godly men, then he'll call out the women. So look around. There are a lot of women right now, and they're doing great. A lot of, a lot of you are doing really well. The issue is we don't need more backbiting. We need, don't need more formula blanket tradition or formula, accusation, doctrine like Jezebel, seeking, witch-watching without defragging it and making it logical and that the men are not 
not overly emotional. Because men can be overly emotional, I noticed, as well. We want to respect males and females, but I have to teach now some of you legalists, contrary legalists, accuser by formula passed down tradition of males, or females rather, of your church attenders who are wanting to come to church to serve Jesus and are now getting, you know, they're accused based on false teaching. We want to say, well, let's see. How did Jesus act and react with the women in the relationships that he came across and when he was alive in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? We'll read them. His mother, the sin-laden lady. The only time Jesus ever fussed at anybody in the whole time he was alive were the Pharisees, the hypocrites, the accuser Pharisees who were in it for the money. Years ago when I studied about the, I call it the morphing of the great Hebrew law, by the carnal Eli High Priesthood and the fallen nature of the idol-worship-prone kings of the nation of Israel, and then the warning in Malachi to the priests that God was going to, they call themselves his messengers, but yet he was going to bring his messenger to the temple. The whole Old Testament closes for 400 years, and to me it was a morphing, a challenge to the real priesthood. There's no Bible canon, just the Apocrypha. On the other side, when Matthew starts and Jesus' time has come, it is like the Pharisees emerge from the priesthood of the Old Testament. My opinion, I'm submitting it as Selah, not dogma. When I researched this, the Obadiah priesthood, the warning of Obadiah about the Edomite priesthood, Turned out one scholar wrote that the Edomites, including Herod, the Edomite priests, the carnal nature, were the hireling priesthood. And when I was writing about the Levitical patriarchs, the Eli Temple, the Eli Temple, compassion fatigued Eli Temple, high priesthood of 1 Samuel, Eli and his group compromisers, which are really to me the Old Testament version of the Ephesians 2, excuse me, Revelation 2, verse 1, church of the letter to the church in Ephesus, Ephesus who've lost their first love and God is warning them, I'm about to remove you unless you get your first love back. The overworked, jaded, compassion fatigued ministry because they're just too busy. They didn't value relationships art abiding relationship theology so many things have built up through the years many leadership things from what god told me when i first started out just for being there i mean just because god was merciful he revealed he wanted this said so when i look at i like i've said before but i'll say it again when i noticed well western european levitical patriarchism and subservient dominating matriarchism it was because I would go places where I was so respected in the white community. Well, I don't even have to, the black community gets me. They like me and the, all the brown and everybody, you know, they seem to have favor with them. And then there's certain groups like denominationals that are white. If I go there and they like me and Catholics like me and, you know, I've never had a trouble with people. The only people group in the Christian community and usually non-believers like me. So, you know, they really like me. I like them. I respect them. 
All right, so the idea is that I go to one group that is the only group that's caustic, that's toxic to me, and I watch, and I thought, I am like, when I visit this kind of group, I'm like racially profiled, and yet we're all the same color. But I noticed enough to think, well, I'm going to racially profile back. I'm going to notice what kind of group does this is standoffish, suspicious, sends over their witch watchers. These are Christians now. They distance themselves from the female, a strong female. Here my mom and grandmother were leaders and my father was head of home and I was married during most a lot of this first discovery. And in order. So I think, well, how come I'm they act so demeaning and so disrespectful to a stranger, just a white stranger that looks like me? Admittedly, I'm five foot nine, almost ten with shoes, you add more than that. However, so let me go back. I'm going to say, well, let me see what kind of groups do it. So I notice this kind of group doesn't, denominationals, black people, brown people, usually, and real Pentecostals that wear their hair in buns because they have power and might. That was a determining factor. Power and might in black people, too. And uh, no teaching of Jezebel witchcraft on other believers. That was a common factor also that didn't do that. So I'll go in there and I think, well, what kind of groups do it? I noticed that they were Western European heritage, middle-aged, a little bit chunky, usually, and coming down from a real patriarchal view of women, and the patriarch is the only one that really says anything. And I noticed that these people only had males, white males, in leadership, with maybe one, finally one token black male, and no women. Since that time, I think they're sort of easing into it, but then there was a denomination of all whelps, and I noticed people who'd been in that denomination all had the whelp spirit, whether they were now in the Pentecostal or charismatic. You go around that whelp spirit, it like it comes up in them when a strong female who's not a whelp or, or a matriarch but is strong, not under the law, comes around. And those people are also biased against women. Not They were trying harder with, with black people to get black people in, black men, but they still have a big deal about suspicious of women that they are, I don't know, chattel, witches, Jezebels. Maybe they were dominated by their mother. I don't know. But anyway, I got that... And I noticed it was every state, and it only was where they had doctrine of Jezebels. And they only, I hate to say it, spoke in tongues, or said they did. But when I came to the Deep South, I found that like I've never seen it. Thicker per capita than I've ever wanted to be around it. And that's why I pulled out. It was unsafe. You don't want to go there. I had lost my husband back then. I was grieving like a widow, even though he had found somebody else. He had had a heart bypass, quadruple, changed his whole outlook and got online and found somebody else. And I was shocked. And when I said, I don't want to get a divorce, I love you. He said in his own way, well, I'm going to make you, I'm going to serve you. And I said, well, I'm not going to sign the papers. He says, well, I will serve you with a server and you'll have to. So one night when I was in Plano, I came home at 11 at night 
and unwilling, but I out of the dark bushes, the server gets out and said, Miss Darcy. I said, yes. And he said, here's the papers. So I got served and I had to get a divorce. It Something came on me like grief that I've never known. I've never known. And I'd lost my father. It was not like that. It was worse. Like I lost my other arm. And it took me a long time. And then I tried to find fellowship in Christian community. And that's when I found the shallow, hail fellow, well-met surface church. Too many places. And then when I tried to join ministry fellowships, dishonesty. And then when I tried to get people to be account, I when they turned out to be whelp, turned out to be whelp, that was when I was distance from but also felt chauvinism i had one person i wrote through email on the big mega church when one of their people had stolen my stuff a computer and i wanted them to go with me or one of them please because it's your member for 10 years would you please help me hold this person accountable like matthew eighteen fifteen in my bible when they thought it was a male oh brother darcy we'll be glad to but when it was sister darcy they quit and they never i never heard from them again and I was by myself. Nobody in, t- nobody in my family had ever thought of divorce. I didn't. So you get the, then you get this prejudice because you are divorced. And if you want to talk to anybody because you're grieving, you have to pay. I had to pay $55 an hour to get anyone just to listen to me. This is the setup, the Greek thinking of this area. I've never seen it in my life. It is mercenary. <laughs> It is achievement. This is the Southwest. So when I went around, I found that when I tried to make friends, you know, the Bible says, if you want to have friends, show yourself friendly, that I wasn't famous in ministry. I wasn't classy enough. I was a single. I was not achievement-based I wasn't glad enough because I was grieving, even though I'm pretty cheery. You know, God always gives me a reason to laugh every day, at least once or twice or three times. Because I'm not, I know we're only passing through this world, but I am human. So you want natural connection and you want people to really have a body of Christ feel. And that was impossible because it was all systems, legalistic well-run machinery, bureaucracy, hierarchy, unloving, and forcing you to either clone into their cheery, peppy ways, or they didn't want the verse, weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. It takes too much time and empathy. And that's when I started to discern and diagnose that, you know, the Lord led me, the Eli Temple fatigued, compassion fatigued priesthood, the Church of Ephesus, and then the biased suspicion of women, the accuser of the lone woman, which is like Eli, the temple high priest, who accused the future mother of the first prophet of the nation of Israel, Hannah, when she was weeping on the step. He was so jaded and jaundiced and didn't respect women because he let his his two sons sleep with the women that came to the temple. And he was the high priest. They were on the staff. So when Hannah comes and she's being persecuted by her, the other wife, even though her husband loves her the most, she's grieving and she, her lips are moving. And instead of Eli rushing over to say, what's wrong with that lady, that 
that lady over there as the high priest head leader office leader and said he takes one look and says oh no one of those time wasters she's got baggage and he says oh she's drunk probably thinking yeah i've seen that a thousand times in my ministry i'm too good to go over there and so that is what i found that's what we found right now it's out there hugely but it's not necessarily denominational and it's not necessarily black out here i haven't really had as many interactions with black in the southwest like i used to because there're just not that many where i've been and i think even though i'm for it and i have a few people that i can connect you know i try i feel like i've was sent you know the bible says you need to go you don't need to go where they don't need a physician and the doctrines for respecting the visitor are pretty really great in the black churches and the denominationals and so i don't think i need to go i'm going to where the, the doctrine is sorely needed of real, real respect for all kinds of people and this is office ministry Every time I think of the most rude, unaccepting, not wanting to include everybody equally, I can't help but think I've run across this group. It looks like they're the red state country, all wise, born again who are in, who, who maybe were raised really poor, I was not. Maybe they were raised second class and now they're making it big because of God and tithing and teaching. And now they're like the nouveau riche. Nouveau riche means tacky. Nouveau riche means I really want money more than I really want anything else. And I'll use ministry to get it. I'll use ego to get it. I'll use power pumping and even tithe teaching to get it. because that's what God really wants for me. He wants me to be blessed. All right, I hate to say it like that, but that's what it comes across as because it's not big deal. Listen, listen. It is not about relationship theology. It is about making money and bless me psychology and theology. That's the difference between the deep southwest and my father and anybody I ever had dealt with that I really respect. and the east coast was not like this. You know, I came out here primarily and I bought 10,000 dollars worth, 8 to 10,000 dollars worth of music equipment at the guitar center thinking I'd set up a music ministry as well as all the other with all the pain and sorrow, the trial, the I had and also the loss. I had to sell the instruments then i got ripped off and it's like the devil you know wanting to destroy that it's not over yet but i still haven't done that so it's put me at great loss financially and yet i do not believe in hounding people harassing people for money talk, taking long offerings to get people worn down but we could use prayer for that because i haven't been able to focus with all the back the drama in the background the lack of love and then the lack of pure hearts if you can't trust the average born again charismatic deep south person and they treat you with disrespect like they you know like they demean people or you don't trust them 
you just have to pull back and go online, which I have. And now I have empathy for many people who are stuck in Phariseeism or whatever this weird rat race ministry is. But I'm happier than I've ever been because I'm not mixing around with them. But it's been a challenge. It's been a challenge and it was like a grievous challenge because I really want to do more worship. So please pray for me. When I look at the... How many years ago? About seven, five to seven years ago, I was trying still to get the worship side, lesson side, recording and video. You know, all these things with music stir up people's gifts. And I I was always distracted with all the sorrow of the Christian community relationship. There are none. Now, I could go to be a denominational. I could go to be somewhere where they sing hymns or, you know. I could go there, but I wasn't sent in the Holy Spirit. And I know the real deep worship. And I bring forth that anointing. I got to go there. Anyway, or start my own, which I'm working on if the Lord wants. If you ever find people that are trustworthy, servant leaders, not big chiefs. That was the other thing. There were no servant leaders. It was all big chief and no Indians. That's a big deal from the East Coast. There's plenty Indians. They were grateful as well, had the fear of the Lord. Okay, so when I was going to the Lord about this, because I felt accountable, responsible. If the Lord said, I want you to big worship to do what he said. And I got the scripture. I think it's Psalm 137 or one of those. It says, here's a paraphrase. When they took us away and take, took us captive to Babylon, they said, why don't you sing and play and sing some of, you know, have mirth and praise and and have some happy songs like we do and yet the people who've been in this captive babylon ministry babylon their hearts were just barely making it it was so such a desert a dearth such a godless place a godless spirit lawless babylon Have I ever, you know, I've grown up in ministry and I've been around all these movements and, you know, on the East Coast, you think grassroots, grassroots, you know, like, yeah, Babylon, they're just, you know, the whore of Babylon, you know, all that type of old. But when I came out here, I met it and I mean it. I've never met. I never thought I'd ever know it. Call anybody Babylon. But the Lord gave me the scripture. He revealed it to me. It is Babylon. That means money, mercenary. People are tired and they're working it and working the ministry and working God, using God's name in vain to get money out of it, out of people. When I first came down here, and this was years ago, 14 years ago, and I was not in McKinney. This is really nothing to do with McKinney on any of this. It's a lot quality of, it's a lot of quality in McKinney, in the spirit and in the natural. And there are moves of God in McKinney and Frisco that are brand new that I go to because they are not under the law. All right. But when I first got here at grassroots level, not fifth famous people, but the middle class, you know, the people down and they introduce you as Christians. They are Christian, the born again Christian. I noticed this pattern. 
I noticed that every man that I met that was a Christian was a minister, and he had something to sell me. And he had his new CD, whether it's worship. They always had something, but it was a product. And I thought, you know what? I came out here to give away help free. I will help anyone with technology. I know a lot of technology, software to get you on TV. I'm better at other people's production than my own because really I have no staff. And that's what we're looking for. I need an administrator. I need prayer protection, though, to get one. Because, you know, I tried out where I used to have a house in Murphy area, putting an ad in the papers when I found down-home chaos and dysfunction in the people who applied, Christians. You can't help it if you're raised dysfunctionally, but God can heal you. I wrote a book during that time, 2013. I put it out online. It's called Adventures in Blameshifting.wordpress.com. Adventures in Blameshifting. Because I never knew how many people were so good at it. I thought, these people are smart. They're good at weaseling out of anything. That's when I had the piano stolen. That's when I had a different group. I had the, um, my discovery years. I had another group, and these are not black or brown people and not unbelievers either, and not denominationals. But I had a helper, and I even gave the helper music lessons. It was a young helper, teenager, and his mother was a single parent. And I knew the uncle, who's a minister, prophetic minister, and it was like, I felt like, you know, a nice group. And so the guy was a great genius, a brilliant TV, you know, anything with software. And so he took the Dell PC quality, Dell PC home and my video camera so he could work on it in his house. I thought that's fine. So I was having a little mini conference or gathering. And so I sent my helper, I had helpers then to go get the computer, please, and bring it back. Well, what they brought back are the shambles in a box. You mean you took the whole computer apart and didn't put it back? You took it apart and there's no video camera? So I thought after the meeting, let's all of us go over there and politely confront the young man, see what's going on. So we tried to get there, but the mother blocked us. The Christian mother blocked. So I just, I've tried to go the extra mile that if somebody does something, I respect them and the body of Christ relationship to go up front, confront them, because that's what the Bible says. But out here, every time I've gotten blocked, when I go to their overhead, they block me and use their power to withstand me. I had it three times. One mega church and uh, one mega ministry, ministry fellowship, and then just the basic common speaker that's the, you know, like who's the prophet at the local level. And these are Christians. So I thought, therefore the grace of God go I, but this is a, this is a prophetic finding that if I can find all these people in such a short time, the Lord said, do not. He told me this. He said, Tavo, you're a prophet. Do not take these things perfectly. You're prophetic. Do not take these things personally take them prophetically. I'm showing you what I see. So I thought, man, if I see three in one year, one, two years, and they're in the same basic kind of person, you know, same doctrine, they don't know each other. 
Think how many people God sees. This is a standard practice. At one point, after being led around, and these were not dark-skinned at all, even though I tried, you know, it wasn't the group that I was supposed to see. I went around, and one time I was downtown near the stadiums on, you know, way down there in Dallas, and it occurred to me, I felt like Elijah the prophet. The Lord was showing me how many false prophets there are. And I'm not one that says this usually. But I tried to find a meeting, go see somebody, famous, you know, preacher or somebody. And I got lost. And when I was lost, I realized how many people I'd gone around the whole area to Fort Worth, out here, you know, different places, not McKinney. And I, it was a, it was a, a shocking but funny but weird inner comment. And I said, you know, Elijah... Elijah had to deal with 450, 850 false prophets. But out here, there are a lot more than 850 prophets that are false. And that's just the Christians. That didn't count any false religion. That's just the Christians. And I mean it. So we submit this to you. We're not angry. We're not contentious. We're not critical. We're just saying there's a time to be bold up front because the body of Christ is sinking like a ship with all this stinking stuff. And yet we know there's a remnant. There is a wonderful godly remnant. And this is a sign of two things. Lord, forgive us all. Father, we know not what we do. Forgive them. But Lord, they need prayer. That's one thing to pray. Get people to pray for this. The other one is... Where's the teachers who teach good relationship theology? Where are the teachers and trainers who are there that are needed that need to teach us online relationships, the fear of the Lord? I went around the area and I, because I had never not been around an area that had the fear of the Lord. I'd been ministering up and down the East Coast, Pennsylvania to Florida, went up to Tulsa. On my journeys, I've never had a place where I would ever say that 80%, 85% of the Christians have no fear of the Lord. And I'm really meaning it. That's down here. So I think, what is in the doctrinal bathwaters in the past and the present, and can we fix it for the future? Let me submit this to you. There is such a thing as the fear of the Lord, and how to get it, how to train about it is... Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. It says, If you seek after God and His wisdom more than you do for silver and gold, then you'll find it. So it looks like income, money, wealth, material possessions, finances have a lot to do, have a lot more to do with the fear of the Lord than we know. It's sort of like the memory of what I said earlier, the hireling priesthood, the warped Edomite carnal priesthood who are in it for the money, making their money off of God. I don't think it's funny, yet I do forgive them, and we need to forgive them, but we just not to be, you don't want to, here's a thought, and I got to go. How much, I've never been a one that ever called anyone a false prophet, especially, much less named them. I will say there's some wrong teaching, but I've heard people all my life in the back, you know, on the Christian community, and they're usually middle class. 
oh, these people are always calling somebody a false apostle, false prophet. All my, you know, online, on land, in the neighborhood, you know what I mean, in the local community. Oh, yeah, they're false prophets. I do not do that. But I will say this. What is the tipping point between teaching false theology that is damning, ruining God's good name, that is accusing calling people Jezebel when you've never even talked to them personally, spreading rumors and bias. What is that? And then using God's name to make more money as a self-centric, not for the kingdom, but for lifestyle. What is a false prophet in this? Who is and who is not? I'm not going to name any. And I don't think everybody who teaches prosperity is a false prophet. No way. I think it's the people who teach take their doctrine and make it into mercenary, wanton lasciviousness and use it with license, with no fear of the Lord or love for anybody that are the ones ruining it. I am so against lifestyles of the rich and famous Christian. I am so against it. Temptation of Jesus. But I am for whatever God wants, whether it makes me happy or, pr- or not. There are such things as King Solomon's And there are such things as Mother Teresa's. And there are such things as sweet baby Jesus in the manger was, you know what I mean? And there are people, when Jesus grew up and turned over the temple money changers against the Pharisees. So we're not going to put God in a box, you in a box. Everything about money and mammon is between you and the Lord and your clear conscience without, without greed, covetousness, or pride lust for other things, all right? So it's not my business. It's M-Y-O-B. I'll mind my... I don't, I don't care what you drive, what you wear, how many you own. That is between you and God because you are going to stand alone before the Lord and whatever you decide, He and you will figure it out on Judgment Day. Same with me. All right, got to go. God is good. I believe in personally ministry and family, godly contentment with great gain. I'm doing it now and I love it. It's just great. Godliness, with it is not based on your income, your house, your estate, your ministry. It's about God and you and having a great time every day. Or your look. It's not about your look. God bless you. He loves you. Lord, keep us all and keep us all in your sweet peace. Lord, help us to know you as the Father and that we're part of a family of God. And help us to know the truth. Not the presumption, but the truth, so we'll all be free. You know, John, what is it, 16, 13 says that after the Spirit comes, when you invite Jesus into your heart, 